nobody, everybody asks you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, but they don't ask you what kind of lifestyle you want to live. That's Chelsea Levine, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. One of our commitments on this podcast is to highlighting people who are living a life of their own design, the people that you may not have ever heard of and whose businesses you've never heard of. This is where we find the hidden gems that we want to share, the people who are living the life of their dreams, most often totally under the radar. Chelsea and her story adds another level of the biggest world you've never heard of by having her business be part of the drumline and marching band world, a niche industry that is so off the radar for most of us that I find it fascinating. There are so many big names, big businesses, and people doing amazing things in the world in niches, industries, and scopes that most of us have never heard of nor pay attention to. On this episode, Chelsea shares with us how she got into the drumline marching man world, how she started her business, and how she and her husband are living a life that they completely love of their own design. All that and so much more coming up, but first. This episode of The Powerful Ladies is made possible by our Patreon subscribers. Did you know that for as little as $1 a month, you can support this podcast? You can send us love, tell us that you want more. You can support all of our events and all that we're doing in the world to fulfill on our full circle of empowerment. It starts at $1 a month. That's less than the coffee you're drinking a day. And there's so many more levels that give you more bonuses and fun things and behind the scenes information. So go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash powerful ladies and support us today. Thank you in advance. Chelsea, welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, I would love to start by you introducing yourself, who you are, and what you're up to. Okay. Well, my name is Chelsea Levine. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm originally from Atlantic City, New Jersey, one of the few people who actually grew up there. (laughs) Um, I currently run my company Seavine full-time out of Nashville. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then insider information is that um, we met because you are married to... Tomas, who is the, you know, man behind all the magic that happens on our website. That's right. He's a talented fella. <laughs> he is. And I got the pleasure to meet you guys for a hot second when you were out in Orange County on your way to San Diego, and that was fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Traveling out to the West Coast is a nice little change of pace from being out here. <laughs> we had a great time. Well, I would love to tell people more about what Seavine is, how it came about. Um, I think that story is fascinating, which is part of the reason why I wanted to share you with the world. Um, so what is Seavine? So Seavine is, uh, we are a company that essentially manufactures products for marching bands and drum lines. Uh, and the proceeds of those sales 
go to fund one of our scholarships to help uh, specifically marching cymbal players, uh, March Drum Corps, and WGI, which stands for Winter Guard International. Um, our primary focus is marching cymbal players and marching horn players, um, but we are kind of slowly expanding out from there as well. And our, our niche products um, that we really focus on are specifically gloves for cymbal players and horn players. And why did they need gloves? So the gloves have sort of been around um, really since the marching activity began, um, mostly based out of uh, tradition of the uniform. It's, it has military roots um, in nature. Um, the way that I specifically came up with our first product, which is the symbol gloves, I was uh, teaching at a high school, Centerville High School up in Dayton, Ohio. And I was teaching the drum line, specifically focused on the cymbal line. And if you've ever seen a marching cymbal player, which no judgment if you haven't, <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, I'm very aware that this is, uh, you know, a very small target audience <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, but essentially the instrument, the cymbals are strapped to your hands uh, with either leather or nylon. And... What that does is those straps ultimately rub against your skin, especially when you're playing or doing different visual phrases that you might um, see a cymbal line do. And so one of my students at Centerville High School, he was pulled out of his math class because he had all these scrapes and cuts and bruises on his arms. And his teacher was genuinely worried about him and said, you know, is everything okay at home and blah, blah, blah. And he, like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. I'm just in the marching band. You know, these are just the uh, battles, battle wounds, battle scars. And at that point, the band director said, okay, well, is there any gloves that we can get them? But the situation was no, because all of the gloves on the market really stop at the wrist, which is where the cymbal straps also sit. Um, and that's where I sort of had the idea to create something that would be specifically designed for cymbal players and ultimately the design hasn't changed much since the beginning um i knew from the start that the gloves had to be long so instead of sitting at the wrist which would ultimately do more harm than good with the cymbal strap they go all the way up the forearm uh, instead of being made out of cotton they're made out of a spandex material so they're very sleek they reduce friction um, they help with consistency when you're, you know, sweating and, uh, yeah, just kind of in the thick of rehearsal or performance. It, it helps with efficiency. Um, and, yeah, so I, I use them for my high school symbol line that I was teaching. And I was still performing at the time and uh, brought them to the drum and bugle corps I was performing with. And it didn't take long for people to just start asking me, like, hey, what are those? Where did you get them? Like, oh, you know, it's just something I'm making. Um, and fast forward about two years, and I decided that with a friend of mine, we were going to try and start a scholarship for marching cymbal players. And he kind of had this connection or um, somewhat of a cymbal fraternity at the time so that people felt connected to his organization. I had this product, and so we joined forces. Ultimately decided to sell the product to fund the scholarship. Um, and within two months, we raised $1,200. <laughs> so it was kind of at that point that 
I knew that we were onto something. I have so many questions. And <laughs> partly I have so many questions because I am the farthest person from knowing anything about drumline, drum corps. Um, like I enjoy watching it and I think it's fascinating. Like anything drumline, I'm like, yes, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like as far as my knowledge goes. So uh, the first question I'll start with is, you know, most teachers don't be end up becoming entrepreneurs, let alone becoming product designers. So what gave you the confidence to say, you know, I'm a um, teaching right now, but like I can totally make this product that I know we need? Oh, man. Well, so to be honest, teaching was actually sort of a side hustle and, and passion of mine. Um, and I was working full time for Apple. <laughs> so I would I would work from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Apple. I would drive an hour up to Centerville and then I would teach from about six to nine and then drive an hour back home. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of in and out of school at the time as well. So I think it really just came down to the fact that I realized that there was a problem and I wanted to figure out a way to solve it. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately tackle a lot of things <laughs> like that. I don't like that the answer is just, well, that's just the way it is yeah. <laughs> when I can see that there is room for improvement and just to sort of shed some light on the marching activity in general. The best way that I can describe it is that it's the biggest thing that no one knows about. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because if you're involved in it, there's, you know, people who are famous within the activity. It has its own jargon. Um, It seems like it would be impossible that you wouldn't know about all of this. But ultimately, you could go your entire life and never cross paths with a drum corps or a winter percussion group. (laughs) Um, Where are they hiding? Where are they hiding? Man, they are scattered all over the country. Um, I mean, every, it's pretty safe to say that a large percentage of high schools have marching bands and drum corps is just marching band on steroids. Mm -hmm. And then the whole WGI indoor percussion activity is essentially percussion theater. Um, it's certainly not as common as indoor, but for percussionists, and there's also a color guard um, circuit and a winds circuit, it is a time where you sort of get to show off, you know, your instrument of choice mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way because you're not hidden behind, you know, an entire marching band. And it sounds so, like they keep getting more and more physical, athletic, and dramatic, right? Like, a marching band is like pretty, you're marching and you're playing your instrument and you're all wearing the same uniform. It can be pretty standard, like what you see at the Macy's Day Parade or from high school. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. drum corps where you get to like have more fun and have more flavor and there's more dancing and choreography and crazy outfits. And so it gets more dramatic and theatrical. And then it sounds like the indoor winter one like is another, even beyond that from uh, – as you called it, theater approach. Yeah, I mean, there's acrobatics. It's very physical. Um, there's acrobatics? Hold, sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, they sort of try and capitalize on whatever the membership's, you know, talents might be uh, on top of drumming. You know, if they find out that someone can juggle, then they're probably going to have a kid <laughs> juggle in the show. So now um, I'm picturing 
like a mashup of marching band and Cirque du Soleil. Like you're hanging upside down in some trapeze something and drumming at the same time. I would say I would say it's honestly more like Cirque than it is marching band <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we are. De- you're gonna have to send me some links because now people I'll are so <laughs> curious about like what the hell this looks like and you know what's really going on in in this world. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you are someone who doesn't like to be told that that's just the way things are and move on. Um, where did that come from? Is that something fostered as a kid? Like, have is, have you always been this way? Do you remember a turning point when you suddenly were like, no, like I can change this? I feel like it was sort of ingrained in me from a young age. Um, I have separated parents, um, which that's all good and dandy, um, but it did force me to be very independent uh, from a very young age. Mm -hmm. I also grew up in a city, so being independent is in a lot of ways necessary, but also easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And my parents always had this rule. They trusted me enough, and it was ultimately... If you can do it yourself, then you can do it. If you want to join this activity and you can find your way there and do this and do that, then it's fine by us. (laughs) Um, So I sort of maxed that out as as a child. I mean, the WGI group that I was in first, for example, I was 15 turning 16. I said I wanted to do it. They said, okay, if you can pay for it and you can get there, then you can do it. So I would take a train up. Wait in the snow for another staff member or member to pick me up, give me a ride the rest of the way. I would be there all weekend long and then, you know, come on back. So um, I kind of took that freedom. Uh, I, I, yeah, I took that freedom as, as best as I could and tried to expose myself to really anything that interested me at the time. <laughs> And when did you fall in love with music? Because obviously all of this is, fo- is founded in the you know, a passion for music that just can express in different ways. Well, I think a lot of kids join music or band in middle school, elementary school, because it's just a way to get out of class, to be (laughs) honest. And that's really what I did. I was bored in school. So where I grew up in Atlantic City, it's very diverse. I was actually a minority growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, So school was easy for me. There was still a lot of people who were learning English as a second language. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to get involved with anything that I could to occupy my time. And band was one of those things. Uh, and I just kind of kept going and, you know, doing it from year to year and, um, zoning change happened when I was in eighth grade and basically they were redoing the middle school. So they were going to send us uptown to a not as safe school. And I ended up moving back in with my mom for what was supposed to be a year. And during that eighth grade year before going into high school, they were doing these drumline sectionals for the high school band. And I started to go to these and I really liked it. I was having a great time. And it's, I sort of realized in that, like, oh, wow, this is, this is for next year. This is for the high school. Um, so if I don't stay, then I don't get to do it. And essentially just begged and pleaded with my parents to let me go to high school out there where the marching band was well known and competitively successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really where I got hooked. I don't know. I just, I felt like I had to do it and I did. And I wasn't 
really the best at anything <laughs> when it came to it. I don't have a good sense of timing or rhythm, just enjoy doing it and try and work as hard as I can to, to keep up. And that's what made me start doing independent ensembles when I was in high school. My high school didn't have an indoor percussion group. And so I just remember coming back from a marching band championship and asking my drumline instructor, how do I keep doing this? You know, I don't want to wait till next marching band season to drum again. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, you know, you could do this group and sent them an email. I took the train up the next weekend and that was really history. All of a sudden I was, you know, 16 years old drumming with a bunch of college kids on the weekend (laughs) to do this activity that I just fell in love with headfirst. And are you, um, you d- has drumming always been your instrument or have you, like how many instruments can you play? It's percussion in general. Yeah. Okay. That, that's always been my route is percussion. What does percussion mean for those who are musically illiterate? Um, percussion when you're in, you know, middle school and high school, you know, you can picture a concert band and <laughs> it's the kids standing in the back playing a big bass drum, playing crash cymbals, playing a xylophone, maybe a marimba. Um, That's, you know, sort of impact some melody. And then when you, I mean, percussion can be drum set, percussion can be drum line, which is, you know, my forte personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, hitting stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, did you play in college as well? I did not. So because I started doing college age groups when I was in high school, by Mm -hmm. the time I got to college, um, I just didn't really want to be in the college marching band. I thought it was kind of lame in comparison to the independent ensembles I was already competing with. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be competitive. I didn't want to just be the halftime show at a football game. (laughs) Um, And I actually... I uh, never finished college. So I, I went to Temple University for a year and a half mm-hmm. and then ultimately left to because I auditioned for and made a top WGI group. So I moved from Philadelphia to Dayton, Ohio when I was 19 years old. Uh, and <laughs> that's kind of a pretty pivotal moment as well. Dropping out of school going to perform with this group we ended up winning the world championship the group is called rhythm x um all the staff from rhythm x taught centerville high school and after the season ended they asked me if i wanted to come teach there and so i did (laughs) well it's just it's so interesting to me because you know i love hearing stories when people are like you really can create life in whatever form you want to, like whatever path you want, like school, not school, like taking the risk. Like, was it a big decision to leave school and go? Or, or for you, was it like an automatic, like, yes, that's what I'm doing? Um, it was fairly dis- difficult. Um, I was always very good at school mm-hmm. uh, and getting good grades was important to me. When I was in high school and I started competing with that independent group, um, I remember I was going into my guidance counselor's office to schedule my what would be junior year classes. And when you're in band, you don't really get a study hall. So which means you're taking eight classes a day every year, especially your first two years. Um, There's just really not room in your schedule to add a study hall. 
And so I was going to schedule my junior classes and my guidance counselor said, okay, you know, well, let's see what you still need. And um, she realized, she said, wow, you know, you have so many credits, you could be a senior. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, well, nobody does that. I'm like, well, I kind of want to do that. <laughs> and I was already hanging out with college age kids anyways. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to waste any time. <laughs> and so I said, well, what would I need to do? And ultimately, I had to just write a letter to the Board of Education, explain to them why I wanted to graduate high school in three years. I also had to take a fourth English class, which I took at a local community college. And that was really it. It got approved um, pretty quickly. <laughs> and so I went from going into my junior year to going into my senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I did. So graduated high school in three years and then went to Temple University and, you know, like I said, saw an opportunity to perform and left school to to go. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to major in. And mm -hmm. yeah, it just seemed like an opportunity. I, I, I said, I, I know for sure that I want to perform and keep drumming and playing cymbals. And school is sort of a drag because I already had changed majors two, two times from pre-med to marketing and <laughs> nothing was really clicking at the time. Yep. So that's, that's why, that's why I stopped. <laughs> It's a great example that you do not need to finish college or go at all, let alone be a business major to end up becoming an entrepreneur. Well, and I think the most interesting part about it is a lot of people ask you, you know, when you're a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yep. And I, I was interested in so many things. I thought for sure I was going to be a doctor, an environmental scientist, you know, all these things. And they all genuinely interest me. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, what I realized later on when I started, when I was starting the beginnings of Seavine was that nobody, everybody asks you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? But they don't ask you what kind of lifestyle you want to live. Yes. And if somebody, when I was, you know, 10, 12, even 17 years old going to school said, you know, if you're a doctor, you're going to work, you know, six days a week and they're going to be you know, 20 hour days and you're going to get 10 vacation days a year, I would have said, hell no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, and I think that's sort of the light bulb that went off eventually for me was just, yeah, I want to have the freedom. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, sit in a cubicle or go to an office five days a week and be told, you know, you have to sit here and eat lunch at this time. And you can have 10 days a year to go on vacation. And no, that, that did not interest me. Does not interest me. That is my hell right there <laughs> is working for someone. <laughs> so what is your, um, you know, day and week really like? So my day and week, um, well, we don't set an alarm <laughs> and we basically, my husband and I, he also, as you know, is self-employed, So we, and we both work from home. And so we ultimately go to bed around midnight, generally wake up about eight hours later, between seven and nine hours later, and either jump right into work if we're not hungry, or we make breakfast every single day. We work till the afternoon around 12, 12.15, go to the gym 
if we're lucky, <laughs> come back, eat lunch, and work until dinner time or until we have a social obligation. And I don't know. It just kind of depends. Sometimes we work after dinner. Sometimes we'll work till midnight if we're feeling it. Uh, or if we got behind on a day before because of, you know, a social obligation or traveling and sort of rinse and repeat that uh, group that I won the world championship with and left college for. I actually teach that group now with Tomas and uh, we're there basically December through April on the weekends. We drive up from Nashville up to Dayton and we're teaching drums on the weekend, which kind of a job kind of not a job Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't really pay but it it sort of pays itself back in other ways opportunities and um helps justify the business for sure because if that group who is a top performing group uses our products you know that sort of legitimizes it well i'm sure it also fuels your hobbies and passions and interests and you're wanting to give back like there's a lot of things i hear in your share that it ticks those boxes, right? Like the things that we do for being a contribution to society isn't always for monetary purposes. No, and I honestly care about that a lot, uh, a lot less than most people. I try and give away as much of money, uh, as much of the Seavine money as I can uh, through our scholarship program. So we've given away over $25,000 now um, towards scholarships and I don't know. I just think it's important to give back. And how come? Ah, man, I think I was always had. I always had to be so independent growing up. I marched eleven independent seasons. I paid. Uh, I couldn't even tell you thousands and thousands of dollars every year to march. Never had any assistance. It was very stressful. And I think giving that little bit of um, financial assistance to performers so that they can pursue their passion mm-hmm. is really important. I also think we can a lot on very little. If you consider, you know, what we, you know, choose to pay ourselves and give away, like we travel more than any of our friends. We bought a house this year. We, um, I don't know, we have all the things that we need. And that that's sort of words that we say to ourselves all the time is that we do a lot on very little and you don't really need as much as you think you do to go after the things that you want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fact, especially when you know, you guys seem to do a great job of being hyper-focused on what matters to you and what's important and where you actually want to spend your money. So, you know, create making sure that you guys have a, a good foundation for yourselves and that you're supporting what you care about and getting to travel, like, as I don't get the impression that you guys are care about what's happening for other people's lives so much as making sure that you're living the life that you guys want to have. Yeah. And, you know, we have friends who make two, three, four times as much money as we do, and they can never seem to afford a vacation. You know, they can never, I don't know, they just, they don't, they don't use their money as effectively as I think we have learned how to do. And, Some of that is by necessity. I mean, for me, always growing up, you know, just having to, if I wanted to pursue an activity or an event, I had to pay for it myself. And I never let money be the reason that I don't do something. Mm -hmm. I tell my students that all the time. Oh, you know, I don't know if I can march this year. And I said, well, if you want to, then 
you will find a way. I've I've never seen money, you know, stop someone stop someone from doing something that they really want to do. For sure. It's like the classic, are you interested or committed? If you're committed, there's nothing in your way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, what I also hear too is, um, you know, because you had to pay for things yourself um, growing up, you really got the a clear relationship between the value and the opportunity with money, like really early. Like you weren't protected because somebody else was paying for things on your behalf to know like mm-hmm. how far a dollar goes and doesn't go. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I have students or friends who, oh, well, my mom says that she won't pay for school if I march drum corps again is a really common example. And I mean, I don't have any student loan debt even from when I was in school. Uh, And I did eventually go back um, to take classes that interested me, but I never put myself in a situation where, yeah, it it put me in in debt. So yeah. Yeah. It's a game changer. It's a total game changer in how, what type of lifestyle you get to live when there is no debt. It, it is. And I mean, I had a job before I was even allowed to have a job. <laughs> my my sixth grade science teacher was also a captain on the beach patrol in Atlantic City. And ironically enough, he actually came up with the name Seavine. It was a nickname that he gave me based off of my first and last name, Chelsea Levine. He would always call me Seavine. And he just came up to me one day, you know, sixth grade. How, how old are you? What? Maybe 11, 12, 11, 12. He said, yeah. Do you like the beach? I said, yeah, I love the beach. Cool. You want a job on the beach this summer? Sure. <laughs> so I would basically make my money off of tips. Um, just working for the lifeguards. They call it mascotting. It's basically a junior lifeguard. And yeah, I did that for years. And finally, when I turned 14, I officially applied for the position through the city and had my first job. <laughs> There, I do. There's so many parallels between people who are um, successful in business and successful in designing their own life. And one of those for sure is um, independence, which you're talking about. And another one is um, like having a hustle early. Mm-hmm. Like, and not that this is limited, like not if you're listening, being like, oh God, I've never been independent and I never had a hustle when I was a kid. Like that's not limiting you. But, you know, of the things that a lot of people who are entrepreneurs have it are those two things. And I think part of what makes it um, like being an entrepreneur or starting a business or just being in business can seem so intimidating from the outside looking in when, um when you haven't figured out a hustle your whole life, because it seems like you need to know things that you don't know to have it. But like, you know, when you're 11 being asked to come do this job and you just say yes, and you you know, you don't know anything at 11, but you still go (laughs) and show up and you're like, oh, I got this. I can figure it out. Like Mm -hmm. we don't give ourselves credit for how smart we are and how capable and resourceful we are. So I think that the main correlation is that people who, start hustling or having jobs or making little mini businesses when like it's better that you don't know what you don't know you build this confidence that like no we can figure it out like we'll call people we'll figure it out like there's a way to make anything happen i'm fairly convinced that everybody who owns their own business has no idea what they're doing (laughs) no no no. like well and i 
I think that there are like you, you know what you know, but you also are really present to how much you don't know and how much you have to keep learning and Googling and calling people and outsourcing and like just saying like, fuck it, like this works right now. Let's go. Let's just start. Yeah. Chances are if you're creating something that, you know, is going to catch on, there isn't a resource out there. You can't just Google how am I going to start a podcast about powerful ladies? <laughs> you know, you're not mm-hmm. going to go and just find this perfectly tailored document of your step-by-step process on on what you need to do to be successful. It just, I've read tons of business books and listened to all the business podcasts and, you know, everybody's story is different on how they land. And I, and I think that's fascinating. <laughs> Completely. And, and they all just start just start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's so many wannabe entrepreneurs out there and people with amazing ideas that are stuck in the, I don't know how to start space. Um, and honestly, that's what completely supports um, my coaching and consulting business because like I've started things. Like I know how to, I know how to start. I know how to help you start. I know how to, you know, create income streams. Like I have a checklist. Like it's the one that I've used for my businesses. I've used it in the corporate world. Like we just follow it and at least you'll be starting, right? And we'll start having, asking the right questions. And I don't know, I just- Yeah, I mean, you just got to figure it out. I I think back to the early stages of, you know, what became Seavine and it's comical to look back and think of some of my processes that have really developed over the last years and- I can't believe I even did certain things the way I did for so long (laughs) and now see where it is. It's like, okay, you know, there's a lot of things that are going a lot better, but I'm sure, you know, even a year or two years from now, I'm going to think back of the systems that are in place now. And, you know, I will have found ways to make it all better and to grow it and, you know, keep advancing it forward. For sure. And what fun would it be if it was like all buttoned up and clean to start with? Like you'd have to move on to another project. No, yeah. I think it's one of those things. It's kind of like when you're, I don't know, cleaning your room where sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) Um, Yes. (laughs) Kind of have to tear things apart and, you know, look at it from a different perspective to try and um, get it another way. And I, I'm actually going through a small project now for Seavine with redoing our packaging and everything. All the gloves are packaged with, let's just say, a glorified Ziploc bag and a printed insert that goes inside and Mm -hmm. the gloves are in the bag. And (laughs) five, six years ago, maybe longer now, I mean, we didn't even have packaging. We would just ship loose gloves. And it it became out of necessity because a music store said, oh, we'd like to resell your gloves. You know, just ship them to us, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, yeah, we can definitely do that. And then that, oh, crap. (laughs) I need to figure (laughs) out how to package these gloves. Um, and And that has worked for us really well over the last few years. But I got it in my head and... I really have a a friend of mine, uh, Denise, to thank for for this. I'm very environmentally uh, conscious, Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever reason, I always think about that with my personal life and not really, you know, Seavine as a whole, or I haven't historically. And she really pushed me to 
try and get rid of the plastic with the packaging. And that's what we're doing now is getting rid of all the plastic and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just making it look cooler. And um, it's really better for, for everybody involved. And I'm sure as we figure that out and um, slow it through the inventory and, you know, rid the shelves of plastic, we'll think I, can't believe I won all those years <laughs> using all that plastic. Mm-hmm. And I can email you some really great eco packaging people too. So I'll, I'll make a note to send that to you after. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. um, so when you look at where your business is at now and, you know, what part of the market you have and what the opportunities are, you know, what are you excited about for creating in 2020 and like what's next for Seavine? Oh man, yeah. Um, what's next for Seavine? I think we have done a good job with. Um, I think we've done a good job with our processes and inventory and making everything run smoothly. And and now that it is in a place that I feel confident in, in terms of, you know, turnaround times for you know the end consumer and just the quality of the products we offer, I think it is time to start. Um, working on product expansion and taking the Seavine brand and offering that um, in similar but but new ways to our customers mm-hmm. and just yeah expanding our offering. I love that we get to do all these side projects like the scholarship and we have tons and tons of media on our website, hours and hours and hours of, of video of the groups that choose to use our products and there's so much more we can do with that, but of course that is all financially driven, you know, and if we can bring in more money, we can give away more money. We can do more, you know, we can do cooler projects. Um, You know, we can afford to spend 70 cents on packaging instead of eight cents on packaging. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that, that's really what I want to do is just expand on the Seavine brand and, I do have some ideas for products, um, but not something I'm comfortable yeah, sharing course. to the world. <laughs> Got to keep it secret. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know some of it, and you know there's a few mo- a few others that um, I think we'll be able to launch hopefully within the next year. And is Seavine what you're spending 100% of your time on, or do you have other projects and businesses too besides the um, the drum corps that you guys are teaching on the weekends? Yeah, so we teach drumline. I have Seavine, and I actually have been doing some work for my friend's digital marketing agency. And it's funny because I hired him to do some of this work for me, and and still pay him to do some of our social media advertising and email marketing and whatnot. Um, but now that I have a greater understanding of really how powerful all that can be uh, mm-hmm. for a business. <laughs> I'm now taking on uh, some contracts with him to kind of help businesses grow uh, the same way we have in the last year. I, I think it's really powerful to connect and it's it's really fun to come up with business strategies for a company that's not your own. Yes. <laughs> As, as I'm sure you experience um, very regularly, it's it's um, it's exciting to I don't know put a new process in place or put together um, an ad campaign for a company and then see them reap those rewards. Mm-hmm. I, I am really really loving it. So 
that's that's something else that's consuming my time, at least um, from a hustle standpoint. How has the um, you know marching band, drumline, drum corps, how's that industry changing since you started to now? You know, unfortunately, not much. And I think that that's why there's so much opportunity there is it's uh, activity that is built on tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think tradition is probably one of the <laughs> worst ways you could describe anything because I think it's just an excuse or, you know, to, to do something or to not do something really. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's kind of where we're at, trying to get in there and say, well, I know you've always had these disposable white and black gloves, but why don't we change that? Why don't we give you the opportunity to make them in all these colors or, you know, change up the design here and there? Um, so that, I think, is one of the reasons why I have ideas that I want to act upon for mm-hmm. the activity, because... I often hear people complain about one thing or another. And of course, you know, they don't do anything about it. It's just always been that way and they accept it and they manage with what's in front of them. But I think that if there's anybody who's, you know, mastered a hobby, an activity, their career, they, if they really sat down and thought about it, they could sit there and pick apart things that are the way that they are. And you know, just think about ways that that they can improve them. But a lot of people don't. And I mean, I'll sit here and and not even, you know, marching band related. Tomas and I will sit on the couch one night and we'll just say, you know, let's let's see what we can come up with. And we'll write down 35 business ideas. We'll just tear apart everything that we do on a daily basis and come up with you know, 35 business ideas. And most of them are pretty bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, some of them aren't. And we do have ideas that we're sitting on that hopefully one day we'll get to act upon, you know, if we feel passionate about it. Um, And I don't know, I think that's a good exercise to do for someone who maybe thinks that they want to be an entrepreneur, but doesn't have an idea you know, and just sitting down and thinking, okay, what is it on a regular basis that just frustrates me Mm -hmm. that I use and just sucks? Yes. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think that you'll be surprised with what you come up with. 100%. I think that's a, I think that's super fun to do myself. I think it's a great exercise. Like what frustrates you? What if, like, what would be really awesome, but sounds ridiculous? Like all of those questions that, it gets just puts you in a state of being creative, but also rooted in like you don't need to worry about if it's practical or not. Like just brainstorm. Like just see what shows up for you and what you actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly how I got my start. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you hear the phrase powerful ladies, like what does that make you think and, and how does that relate to like yourself and your journey? Oh man. When I think of a powerful lady, I I think of two main categories, which I know I've hit upon already, is just being independent and then not creating an excuse for for yourself. I don't think that that's specific to being a female. Mm -hmm. And I try to not put 
men or women uh, on a pedestal in particular, which yeah. I know is a fairly uncommon opinion. Um, I feel like in a lot of scenarios, if you act big, you know, people will treat you like you're big. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I know that some people aren't as fortunate um, in whatever their career careers are with that. Um, but I, I think that if you're the right person for the job, then people will treat you like you're the right person for the job. And that that's why I just, you know, try and do things on my own and surround myself with people who I think will help me get to my end goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the practices that you put in on a daily basis to keep moving forward and, um, you know, keep yourself educated as a, uh, you know, an owner, an entrepreneur and a business person and a leader, like where do you keep going back to or, you know, what are your pl favorite places to go to to keep yourself educated and inspired? Oh, man. Um, I think this year I've been reading a lot. I've set the goal to read a book a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, <laughs> um, but it's more than I've read in the past. And I have learned a lot about myself and business and storytelling and, and whatnot. And I, I think that you'll never regret the time that you spend reading a book mm -hmm. and or listening to a podcast about something that interests you. And I think the more stories that you hear, the more inspired you'll feel in one particular way or another. Because everybody's stories are so different, I mm -hmm. think that that's very leveling for you as a, as a human being. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, we ask everyone on the podcast, like, where they put themselves on the Powerful Ladies scale of, um, you know, zero being regular everyday person and 10 being super mega powerful lady where do you feel on average and where do you feel today <laughs> interesting question I I don't feel special to be honest I I think that I've acted upon an idea that makes me unique or differentiates me from the pack but I don't feel like anything that I'm doing uh that someone else is incapable of. Maybe they're not interested in it, but I think that they could do it if they wanted to. So I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm pretty normal, to be honest. And <laughs> I did wonder going into this podcast if I have built something unique enough that qualifies me to be amongst the pack of, uh, you know, incredible people who have been on the podcast already. And I think in one way or another, whether it's emotional or physical or, I don't know, career related, that everybody is could justifiably be on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, our, our tagline is that it's the place for the awesome and the up to something. And, you know, you are awesome and you are up to something. Like, you're up to a lot of things. And so many women I've asked to be on the podcast – um, most people end up saying yes. And then uh, there are a handful of people who just say like, no, thank you. I'm not powerful. And it breaks my heart. It makes me so mad because it's not about achieving a result. It's like, it's a way of being in motion and in progress to me that defines like what's powerful over like achievement. 
like, you know, we think about like powerful people and like everyone always talks about Oprah, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, Oprah's yeah. a badass, like for sure. Like she's on our ladies we love list. And, you know, but it's a matter of like if Oprah had done her talk show and then stopped, I don't know if she would be considered, like, I don't think she'd get the acclaim that she has today because she didn't stop there like people love oprah because she's constantly in the space of learning and discovery and sharing and what's next and how can i give it away and how can i connect with more people and connect people together like it's a constant state of motion and you know i don't know i'm just a big believer in like people's ways of being like if you're in motion and if you're creating and if you're out there um doing good in the world it's going to you know, like attracts like. So what else starts showing up? You know, it's really hard to feel powerful, to be inspired when like life is going to the office and then like Netflix and chilling. Like it's really hard if like that's the only cycle you're in. So what does it take to be uncomfortable or try something new or just be curious? Like curiosity goes a really long way, which I think a lot of your story shows as well. Well, I, I appreciate that. And it, I heard this on a po- on another podcast once or, you know, if, if someone asks you, who do you think is, the, a, you know, the most successful person you can think of? Instinctively, you might say somebody like Oprah or Steve Jobs or mm-hmm. Elon Musk, you know, because, oh, they've created all these things and they're super rich and, you know, whatnot. But then if you take a second and think about, OK, well, who do I think is successful you might come up with somebody like, well, I think my grandma's really successful. Or I think my mom is really successful because look at all the things that they juggled and created and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, sometimes it's the normal or what we say is the normal, you know, day to day to do's. Um, just accomplishing that is a pretty incredible accomplishment in itself. I mean, it really is. And, and even if you look at, you know, the industry that you spe- specialize in, I can't say S words today. Um, mm-hmm. It's my first day back in the studio recording in a while. So I think my mouth is like still warming up. But um, <laughs> no, like there's so much dedication and commitment. And like, I don't like the word sacrifice, but you do have to make choices that aren't always easy to follow the things that you love and are passionate about. And You know, I think that's part of what, you know, as you go through stages of anything that you're getting expertise in, like if you go from marching band to, you know, drumline to drum corps to, you know, you name it, whatever's the next level, like it's people who like are committed and it still takes a lot. Like you're choosing not to do something else. You're choosing to put your money there. You're choosing not to, you know, use your time in other ways that you care about. And there's something really powerful about just choosing and like dedicating yourself and time to something where like that time doesn't go to waste. Like you're getting, there's so many valuable lessons about your abilities and your own confidence and your skill set. And like, you know, like I've never been in a drum line, but I can guess that there are so many intangible skills that you learn doing that between teamwork and listening and putting your ego aside and being supportive and creating things together. And you know what it feels like to be in that space when you're all aligned and like the same, all your energies together 
and you just feel it. Like, you know, when you guys have, you know, kicked ass at a performance because you can Mm -hmm. feel it. You don't even need someone to tell you. And those same skills and feelings like need to go everywhere. Like if you're working at a job and you feel that energy, like that propels more momentum. Like that's my goal. I think it's just, how do I stay in that energy zone as much as possible? Because it's like a life force of its own. Yeah, it it really is. And I mean, I try to not engage into anything that I'm not super passionate about and I've gotten a lot better about it over the years, but think it's um Derek Sivers and he has a a quote where he basically says if it's not a hell yeah then it's a no yes (laughs) and um you know just kind of picking what it is that you want to spend your time on because I do feel often that or I feel the pressure that that time is very limited Mm -hmm. um but Time is also all you have at the same time. So you might as well use it wisely. (laughs) Yeah, get the most out of it. Like, what else are we here for? Like, I just posted a quote recently on our Instagram that said, you know, why aren't you running as fast as you can towards your wildest dreams? Like, why aren't we? Like, Mm -hmm. why are we spending our time doing anything else? Like, um, one of like, you know, part of the impetus for powerful ladies was me just being frustrated watching all of these capable, amazing people like being in a circle of lacking any intention to move towards where they want to go when all they have to do is like pause and make a left and like all this magic is right there. Like we don't realize how much of what we think we can't have or is only reserved for other people is so <laughs> close. Like it's in, you can touch it. You just need to put your arm out. Like that's all it takes. It's like such a small change in your routine and your like mindset to like get access to it. Yeah. Don't play victim. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, when we think about like who's inspired you, um, you know, wherever they are on the gender spectrum, like who are people that you give credit to for how you've gotten to where you are today? The... The biggest one is actually my grandmother. She is about to turn 92. <laughs> she she goes to the gym three days a week. She lives in a two-story house. She has a dog. She drives. She takes care of herself. Um, but more importantly, she grew up in a time where being an independent woman wasn't really the cool or what people thought was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that she paved her own path in a lot of ways. You know, she had a family and when it was very, very taboo to divorce your husband, she did it because she wasn't happy. And she lived in North Jersey and didn't like that. So she moved down to the beach to South Jersey and, you know, got her master's degree. And um, yeah, just kind of has the fuck it attitude. Mm -hmm. Even still to this day, she... I mean, she's like a glorified con artist in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, She's found ways to, she's traveled all over the world. Um, She certainly creates opportunity for herself. And she, she puts herself before a lot of people. She puts her, she puts herself first, I guess I should say, Mm -hmm. but not at the cost of, not caring for the people around her yeah so I don't know I think that that's a 
a very good quality, <laughs> a great quality to have. Mm-hmm. She just has a, a lot of life about her. And yeah, she, I don't know. She's still kicking at 92. She was a bridesmaid in our wedding. She <laughs> dances. Um, I'm not kidding. At, at, at 90 years old, she walked down the aisle with the most handsome groomsmen she could choose. So, <laughs> Grandma is killing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she still talks about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope that, um, well, I know I have some of her genes, but I hope that I have the uh, spunk that she does <laughs> at 92. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And, you know, I just, it seems like she really understands the power of like putting on your own oxygen mask first. Like if you make sure that your life is good, it allows you to make sure other people's lives are good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were just there visiting her and she, within 10 minutes of walking in the house, she poured us a glass of wine and cut us a piece of cheesecake and, you know, enjoyed the holidays and (laughs) ditched us to go Black Friday shopping on her own. And (laughs) so she just does whatever she wants (laughs) what's her name her name is helen well we can all be a little bit more like helen no matter how old we are (laughs) i'd say so awesome well i would love to know what advice you want to give to women who want to follow in your footsteps women who see opportunities in areas that other people don't or just women who are super passionate about marching band and what's next the best experience you can have is doing it, you know, and you're only going to get better at whatever it is you're trying to do by actually doing it. You know, if, if your goal is to be stronger, then the only way you're going to get stronger is to go and, you know, physically pick up the weights or run the run or swim the swim, you know, whatever it is you're going to do. If you want to figure out how to start your own business and, you got to start your own business. And I think the the best way you can prepare yourself to accomplish something is to just dive in head first and try and do it. Sometimes it's a, I don't know, it's everything feels like it's a thankless position on some days. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. you don't, <laughs> I'm really thankful of that every day that I get to work from home or work from a coffee shop anywhere around the world and be involved in the activity that I'm passionate about. And then when it comes time to putting on my teaching shoes, it's for fun. Yeah. And it's the payoff. And I, I don't need that money to pay my bills. It, the, the gesture is important, I think, and, and certainly appreciated. Um, but it's not something that I rely on. Yeah, and and there's you know um, tons of books out there about you know following what you're good at versus what your passion is, and like separating you know um, like your career doesn't need to be your passion. And so many people like put those two things together. It's really in a unique space when people can, and you know it's part of what I try and help clients put together. Like how do how do we match up your strengths and your passions and what you're just good at? To, to find this unique niche for you. But um, so often it's it's a much, it's a path of least resistance to, um, in both ease of a career and, you know, making money so you can eat 
um, when you just sometimes just do what you're good at and let your passion be in the hobby space because that's just how it works sometimes, or at least for that moment in time until you can figure out what's next and how to how to combine things and to really it takes time to figure out your niche that aligns everything in a way where suddenly it works and you're getting paid and it's easy. Like you have to have like different experiences to get there. So, you know, if we think about the, the 10,000 hour rule as well, and we look at like what, how old you are when you started both hustling and, you know, being in percussion, like it makes sense that you graduated school early and that you have this business you know, as a, you know, a young woman and like you're taking things on. So, um, no, I think that your path and sharing your path is so important so people can hear it and know that like living the life that you guys have is totally possible. Like you can be, uh, you know, a power couple of solo entrepreneurs and buy a home and travel the world and be able to give back. So, um, I think that's great. And that's, you know, why I think sharing your message is so important. And, and something I just want to add to all of that mm-hmm. is, this is something that I really didn't learn until after I was already doing it, but people will give advice, you know, you know, business experts where you need to focus on like a very niche audience. And like I said earlier in the podcast, <clears throat> I'm very aware that marching symbolists and marching horn players are it's a niche within side within a niche <laughs> and that because we're focused on those people and they get attention that they wouldn't normally get they feel incredibly special mm-hmm. and i love delivering great experiences to those people who wouldn't normally get it um and you know we i mean we do certain things at events where we have our booth instead of set up as you know just a place to buy things it's a red carpet event with the backdrop and spotlights and we ask for their autograph and take their picture and I mean there's so much payoff there and Mm -hmm. obviously helps them feel um, connected to the brand and I, I think something else that people listening could take away from this is that there isn't a target audience too small um that you can serve yeah and if there is something that you feel connected to or are just very, very interested in, chances are there's other people out there that would also love for you to, you know, capitalize on on that as well. And I was fortunate enough to make the transition pretty smooth, but I think another last bit of advice I would offer is, you know, while I was, you know, starting to build this brand, I, I never... I always felt guilty um, trying to pay myself uh, really until until the until I finally quit my day job at Apple. I worked for Apple for nine years and I set a goal that once I launched this new product and, and made my first sale of the hornline gloves that that I would that I would quit. And as soon as I made that sale, I put my two weeks in and and I left and I think because I sent that set that benchmark for myself and was very conservative with how I spent the money's business, you know, in a way where, you know, of course I didn't want the business to suffer, but I also didn't want to get anything that was unnecessary, including a salary salaried employee. Mm-hmm. I think that that was very critical on helping the brand grow early on. 
is just having that capital available and, you know, part of your reserve as you're trying to get people connected. I mean, it's exhausting, but I felt, I do feel like it's a necessary evil. And (laughs) I hear of stories where people are starting businesses and they set their salary at 60K. Well, I need 60K to run a business like this. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, you you can find a way to minimize your uh, your salary to be able to help the business grow. For sure. And there's so many layers to that between, you know, things that the business pays for that used to be part of your personal budget. There are, mm-hmm. you know, even just doing, I have a lot of clients that are bringing on their first employee or first team of employees And I don't think people realize how much income a a business needs to be generating and able to be able to hire anyone on besides Mm -hmm. you, especially full-time and as a, you know, either hourly or salaried employee. Um, Like you need to be a six-figure company before you can truly have an employee. And between, you know, zero income and that, there's so many ways to get help from people, between people who do it out of the kindness of their heart, they believe in what you're up to, people you can outsource things to, uh, trade with, like there's so many ways to still have a team around you, but not have to, you know, if you're if you're starting a business because you like the idea of having this like really cute office and all these teams of people to help you, that's really not what a business is. Like that's something that happens so far down the line. It really is. And you have to take advantage of your resources. I, I think about some of the people early on in, in Seavine who, you know, ultimately just volunteered their time and expertise. And um, it's hard to imagine where we would be without that, um, with without our, I don't know, certain creative people and um, the judges for our scholarships and, and everything, you know, surrounding that. <laughs> I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And it's necessary. <laughs> you can't do it by yourself. You definitely cannot. And I think as a shout out to everyone who's helped us, I think that's a great way to, to wrap up for today and just be so thankful that, you know, we have all these people in our lives that support each other. And that's what Powerful Ladies is about. You know, women rise together and people rise together. So um, how can we be a contribution and pay it forward for the next person? Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We are inspired by you and we can't wait to hear what's happening with Seavine next. Thanks for having me, Kara. I sincerely appreciate it. I love Chelsea's story because it proves so many things about what it looks like to live a life that you've created. You do not need to graduate college to be an entrepreneur. You do not need to follow the path that others lay out for you. In Chelsea's story, I love hearing how she followed what she loved, what she thought would be fun, all of that to find her own path. And when opportunities came up that sounded unusual, she said yes. It helped that she was inspired by her very bold and powerful grandmother. But she's made choices that may seem risky to others, and as a result, She has a life that she truly loves. She and her husband are both working from home entrepreneurs. They own a home. They travel the world. They teach and give back and have more than they need. Jealousy is clear about what matters to her that allows her to be fulfilled. She's having fun. And I encourage all of you to do the same. 
To connect, support, and follow Chelsea, you can follow her on Instagram at cvineco, and you can visit her website, cvine.co. All the other ways that you can connect with and support Chelsea are through Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, email. They're all available in our show notes. I hope you've enjoyed this new episode of the Powerful Ladies podcast. If you're a yes to Powerful Ladies and you want to support us, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our website, thepowerfulladies.com. Don't forget to rate us and give us a review. You can also be one of our patrons on patreon.com forward slash powerful ladies. Follow us at Powerful Ladies and of course, visit our website, thepowerfulladies.com. For any other information you want about how to connect with us, send us a note. We love your feedback. It's all available at thepowerfulladies.com. 